Praise God. Praise God. Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be out here with you guys this morning. Before we get started, I just want to uh, uh, just ask that we all remember uh, we have brothers and sisters that are in this country right now that are uh, defying orders so that they can be together and worship uh, as a church and as a community. So let's keep them in our prayers. Um, you know, and we're just going through a time right now that it, uh, it's really unprecedented, nothing that I have seen in my lifetime. Um, the speed at which things change and things come at us is uh, it's just overwhelming, it seems like. And uh, sometimes it seems like the normal that we knew uh, is never going to be again, doesn't it? You know, and you see so much on both sides. You see these fear and anger and hatred and all these things on, on both sides and all these emotions uh, that are happening. And it, and it gets discouraging. Even as a believer, sometimes it gets discouraging. But um, I just wanted to throw this out here before we get started to remember uh, that Jesus told us no matter what this world throws at us, that we need to take courage because he's overcome this world. So no matter what happens, take courage because God has overcome this world. And this morning we're going to be uh, picking up in chapter 13 here in our study. Uh, Pastor Chris is back with us and um, he texted me and told me that He's getting to come watch me, so he wants me to go extra long because he hasn't seen me preach in forever. So if it goes long, you can blame him. Fifteen pages, so we'll see. But yeah, <laughs> we're going to pick up here in chapter 13. If you remember back over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Nate's been going, going over, and we kind of saw uh, Solomon's reign come to an end, his death. Um, and from there, we saw his son Rehoboam. Uh, picked up, and when he went to be ordained or uh, anointed as king, he made the people mad. He made them so mad that they actually, uh, most of the people defected, and they went out and they sought out Jeroboam and made Jeroboam king over them, which would become the northern kingdom of Israel. So now we have Israel split, and now there's two kings over Israel, and we saw God really set Jeroboam up and told Jeroboam, listen, if you will just walk in my statutes, if you will just do what I told you to do and walk how I tell you to walk and listen to me, I'm going to bless you just like I did King David. Remember how blessed King David was? If you'll do that, I'll bless you in that same way. God told Jeroboam back in chapter 11. And he even tells Jeroboam again that, as much as King David had, he's going to bless, he would bless his house forever if he would just listen to him. And you would think that Jeroboam would have been ecstatic, right? He would have been excited about this promise. And he would have wanted to learn from God and, and, and ask God, you know, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to walk? How do you want me to live and rule these people? You would think that would have been his response. Because he wanted to be blessed like King David was, but we saw, right, it wasn't. That wasn't Jeroboam's response at all. See, Jeroboam didn't trust God. He didn't trust God at his word when God said, I promise you, you'll have these things if you listen to me. He didn't trust God and he didn't trust the people. So what does he do? He goes and he starts and he says, well, I'm just going to make them things to worship here. So they don't have to go to Jerusalem and worship and be pulled away to Rehoboam. Rehoboam. I'm just going to make it so that they worship here. And so I'm going to build them altars, and I'm going to build these golden calves so they have something that they can worship. 
And we see the start of, and the decline of, of Jeroboam here. Let's go ahead and we're going to pick up the study here and let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much this morning that we could be here. God, we know that uh, there's brothers and sisters around the world, Father, who face far worse than what we face, that they could be together and, and worship together. And God, we just pray that you would bless them and protect them, Father. And as we come here to worship you this morning, we just pray anything that would hinder that would be left outside the door this morning. God, we pray that uh, not just your praise be on our lips, God, but be in our heart. And that our worship would be pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, so let's pick up there. First Kings chapter 13. We're going to try to get through this whole chapter. It says, Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing at the altar to burn incense. He, he cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Then he gave a sign uh, the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar will be split apart, and the ashes which are on it shall be poured out. So we see right away that this, this prophet comes, and he finds Jeroboam, right? In the middle of doing what God told him not to do. Right in the middle of adultery, idolatry, he finds him here. He's burning these incense on the altar. And this young prophet from Judah comes. And he catches him right in the middle of this idolatry and this uh, false worship. You know and how sad it is too to think that there was not one godly person. Not one prophet in the whole northern kingdom that God could use to come and give this prophecy. He had to bring someone from the southern kingdom, from Judah, to come down and give this prophecy because Jeroboam and the people have gone so far astray that there's not even one prophet that he can bring to pronounce this judgment. You know, and he makes this amazing prophecy that we're going to discuss a little bit later, but he actually names the name of the person that's going to bring this judgment of God. And God tells Jeroboam that I told you I would have blessed you. I told you as much as I did King David, I would have blessed you if you would have only kept my statutes. I would have blessed your family. I would have given you most of Israel. I would have given to you for you to rule if you would have listened to me. But now since you've turned away and you've practiced idolatry and you've led my people into it. Now instead of blessing you like I did King David. Now one from his heritage, one from his line is going to come and they're going to destroy this altar and destroy this fake uh, religion that you set up for these people. And he's even going to take the priests that have led these people astray and he's going to burn their bones on it. That's pretty harsh. And then he gives Jeroboam this sign that's going to happen. And now we, you know, we've already read that surely at this point Jeroboam would repent, right? If you've read ahead... Jeroboam repents right here, doesn't he? Surely he would. Let's see what happens. Now when the king heard this, the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar in Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. But his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar was split apart, and the ashes were poured out 
from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Doesn't repent at all, does he? Even after God came and gave him this chance, he doesn't repent at all. He actually gets mad. And he acts like so many of us do today even. And so many of us have done before. Somebody sees us or see, you know, sees you, and, they, and you and you're walking down a path that you shouldn't be on or you're making decisions that you shouldn't be doing or you're hanging out where you shouldn't be hanging out and somebody actually loves you enough and somebody actually has the courage to come to you and say, listen, I, you know, I, I've been there. I know the path that you're going and it's not good. Let me help you bring you out of this. They love you enough and have the courage enough to do that. What do we do? Oh, bless your heart, brother, for coming to me. Oh, bless your heart, sister. Is that what we do? Most of the time, no, we don't, do we? What do we do? We get mad. We get mad and, well, who do they think they are? Oh, Mr. Righteous, right? Who do they think they are? I cannot believe that person had the nerve to come to me and say that. Don't they know what I know about them? How would they like me to t come talk to them? That's usually our response, as bad as it is and as bad as I hate to admit it. That's usually our response. A lot of times we get mad. And we don't want to listen to the counsel, the godly counsel that God has brought someone to us with. And the Bible's pretty clear about what God thinks about us in those situations and about what God thinks about Jeroboam here when they reject godly counsel. The Bible's very clear. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. He doesn't mix any words, does he? That's pretty plain and clear. You don't have to be a theologian to dissect that verse. If you do not listen to godly counsel and reproof when you're doing wrong, you're stupid. And we've all been stupid, don't get me wrong. And I know that stings a little bit, but I'm pointing the finger at myself. And if we're walking around and we're walking, getting ready to walk off a cliff or we're walking into danger, and to physical danger, we would love the person to come and tell us, don't go there. There's danger there. But somehow when it's spiritual, we get mad. We get mad when somebody calls out something that's spiritual on us. We get mad and we take offense at it. When we should be the same way, we should be really thanking them for calling us out and setting us on that path. Listen, I've been stupid many times in my life. Trust me, no amens to that. But I have. But Jeroboam gets mad here, and he's reaching out in anger, and he wants to arrest this prophet and probably kill him. And right away, his hand withers up. And the crazy thing is, is right away, the altars split. The ashes start coming out. Right away, Jeroboam knows, uh-oh, it's already come to pass. It's already true what the man of God has said. I already have my sign that this judgment is on me. And I don't know about you, but right now, right about then, I would have been, okay, God, I get it, right? I get it. You got me. I'm stupid. I repent of what I've done. I'm going to change. You would think after that that he would have. But let's see what Jeroboam does. It says, the king said to the man of God, please entreat the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it was before. 
Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded uh, me by the Lord, word of the Lord, saying, you shall, not, you shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. So he went away and did not return by the way which he came. See, no repentance at all from Jeroboam. Jeroboam still did not repent even after all of this. Now, there was some regret, right? There was some regret of the current state he was in. You know, his arm dried up and about fell off, right? So he regretted the situation he was in. But there was no remorse. And we can really see how far Jeroboam has slid and how far he has fallen, can't we? He doesn't even recognize Jehovah God as his God anymore. What did he tell the prophet? You pray to the Lord your God. He didn't even say our God anymore. He'd fallen so far that he didn't even recognize God as his God any longer. And he tells the prophecy, please, please play for me, prophet, that God will take this away from me. You know, and it's crazy to think that really not long before that, God was promising him, if you be careful to walk in the ways I tell you, I'm going to bless you. And how fast he's fallen by decisions that he's made. One decision after another that led him further and further away from God. And we see because of these decisions he's made, these selfish decisions to take care of himself and to look after himself, and these decisions that were made not trusting God and God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises, we see where these decisions have taken him. And instead of remorse and repentance, he just wants out of his current situation, don't he? He just wants out of his current situation. Again, I've got to raise my hand to that one. I've been the same way. I have been the same way. And I see it all the time. Somebody gets caught in something. Or they get caught doing something. They're not necessarily remorseful of the fact that they committed sin, right? They're remorseful of the repercussions of it. They want out of the situation. They're not remorseful of that sin or repentant of that sin. If you have kids, you know what I mean. If anybody has kids, you know what I mean. You watch them. I know my kids do. You can take their phone away. That's one of the hardest things for the kids these days. You take their phone away and they come to you, Daddy, I am so sorry. I'm sorry, Dad. Well, what are you sorry for? I don't know. Can I just have my phone back? I'm sorry. There's no repentance for what they've done. And Jeroboam is the same way. He does not repent. He just wants out of the situation. How many times have we prayed or asked people to pray for God to get us out of this situation? Not take me through this situation, but get me out of it. When instead we should be praying, God, teach me what you want to teach me here. Show me what you want to show me so I'm not back here. But instead, we just throw up our hands and pray, God, you've got to get me out of here. Get me out of this situation. I can't stand it. We should be wanting to learn why we're there and how not to come back there. And whatever it takes to get through it, God, get me through it so that I learn it. 
And also notice the grace of the young prophet there. Even though Jeroboam had just threatened his life, he prays for him. What a novel idea, right? Even people that hate you, pray for them. And what a world it would be today if Christians truly practiced that. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. What a novel idea that would be if we could practice that. Instead of getting mad all the time and wanting revenge all the time. This prophet could have said, forget you, sucker. (laughs) You know what I mean? You just stretched that hand out ready to kill me. I hope it falls off. If I was a prophet, that probably would have been what would have happened. But he could have done that. But he sees the humanity in Jeroboam. He sees the fact that he is created by God. And he prays for him. And again, I'm not speaking to you as somebody that's got it all figured out, but I know it seems like now more than ever, we need that in the church. We need love. We need grace. We need mercy. Now more than ever, because this world certainly needs the gospel of Jesus, and it needs to see the love of Jesus. And they're going to see that through you, through us as Christians. That's how God chose for it to be. Now let's continue on. We're going to see uh, even this young prophet, even this prophet of God, we see how faithful he was up to this point. And even told the king, nah, I'm not going back home with you. God told me. God told me what I need to do, and I've done it, and I'm going to be on my way. But we see even that, even in the midst sometimes of doing good, we can fall. 1 Kings chapter 13, 11 through 18 says, Now an old prophet was living in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the deeds which the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken to the king, they also related to their father. Their father said to them, Which way did he go? Now his sons uh, had seen which way that the man of God came from Judah had gone. They said, uh, then he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. So he went after the man of God, found him sitting under an oak, And he said to him, Are you the man of God which came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. He said, I cannot return with you nor go with you, nor will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For a command came to me by the word of the Lord, You shall eat no bread nor drink water there. Do not return by the way which you have came. Now we see this new person enter the scene, right? This old prophet. This old prophet that had stayed in Bethel for some reason. I don't know why he stayed there. uh, But for some reason, when all the others fled to Judah and went and, and went to Judah, he stayed behind. The Bible doesn't really say why he stayed behind. Uh, But either way, we can kind of assume from starting to read this passage that um, there's nothing really good in this old prophet right now. And you would think being a prophet that he would have already been speaking out against Jeroboam, right? He should have already been speaking out against this false religion that was going on. But he wasn't. He'd gotten comfortable. He was living there and he'd gotten kind of comfortable with his surroundings. Even in the midst of all the sin 
and all the idolatry that was going on just kind of grew on him, right? You just kind of, he just kind of got used to it. Oh, well, that's what they do now. And boy, that's something that we need to be aware of as Christians today. What are we getting comfortable with? What are we accepting to be around us as Christians? Pastor Nate talked uh, a couple weeks ago about how bad company corrupts good morals, right? And you guys know that the Bible is very clear. Anytime it mentions sin or idolatry, it says to flee from it. To flee from sin, to flee from idolatry. This prophet should, have, should not have stayed in this kingdom no more than we need to stay around sin as believers. And no more should we accept the sin and everything that's going on around us. But we somehow fool ourselves into thinking that we can resist it or that we're strong enough to be around it. And we're just going to dip our little toes in it and kind of fill it out and see how it goes, right? Because we're strong. We can withstand it. And that's exactly what Satan wants. That's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to hang around it long enough, dip your toes in it, check out the water, see how it feels so that he can get you. And he can trap you in sin and take you down a path that you never in your life would have thought you would have went down. Just from these one decisions that you start making, one right after another, and the things that you start accepting in our lives. And most of us, again, we've been there at times, and we've had situations in our lives. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself about the company you keep. Ask yourself about the people that you're with most of the time. The people that you allow into your lives the majority of time. Ask yourself, are you bringing them closer to Jesus, or are they taking you closer to sin when you're with them? That's a tough question sometimes to answer. And be honest with yourself. Now, I'm not saying you don't be friends anymore. I'm saying you've got to remember who's, on, who's got the home field advantage. And you've got to understand where you're at. Because your job is to get them to Jesus, not the other way around. And I want you to think about when you first become a believer. Pastor Chris and I just talked about this, how... How sensitive you were to sin. I, I've asked God many times, Lord, take me back to that point to where I was so sensitive to sin that I could see it a mile away. Nobody had to tell me it was sin. I saw it a mile away. Take me back to that point. And now think about how do you feel about that sin? Are you kind of comfortable with it? I mean, it's not as bad as what so-and-so does, it's just me, it's just my nature, right? I just get mad, I just get angry. I just do this, it's only this. And we start to rationalize, and we start to make excuses for the sin that we've allowed to be around us, that we've allowed to start to consume us, that we've started to dip our toes in to fill it out. We rationalize that now. I've seen so many believers fall back into the sin that God has delivered them from because they, were thought, they thought they were strong enough to go back and visit the old crowd. Well, I'll never do that again. I know where I'm at. They thought they were strong enough to visit the old places that they went before. 
and they fall back into the sin that God had delivered them from because they start to surround themselves with sin and they get comfortable being around it. See, your strength comes from knowing what your weaknesses are. I have some family members who has battled addiction and who has come out and God's brought them out of addiction. And their strength is not, is not being around it and being able to prove how strong they are. Their strength is knowing that I can't be around it. Because when I am around it, I'm an addict and my flesh wants to do it. So I'm not going to tempt myself with it. That's the strength. We need to flee from sin. Don't, don't get comfortable with it. Anyway, back to this old prophet here. We Again, we saw that there's no business. He had no business being where he was at. And this young prophet really had no business in stopping and by the oak tree. God told him to do what he needed to do and don't go by the way that he came and to go back. And to not take any food, any drink, and return not by the way that he came. This young prophet's doing good at this point. But we see what happens here. We're going to see what happens. Because the enemy does not give up. 1 Kings 13 says, He said to him, I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. This old prophet lies to him and says, I'm a prophet just like you. An angel actually spoke to me and told me, yeah, go get him. Bring him back and refresh him. Get him something to eat. I don't know why the old prophet lied to him. I don't know why he lied. It doesn't really tell us why he lied. Uh, Maybe he was mad at God. Because why would God bring this prophet in here? Don't he know he can use me? Why would he bring this prophet all the way from Judah? Maybe he's mad at, at, at this God. Maybe he's mad at the prophet for who does he think he is? This is my territory. I'm the prophet of God in this area. Maybe he was mad at the prophet. Maybe really it's just that he's gotten so far away from God that he doesn't really care. He doesn't really care. He is so miserable and so far away, of, uh, away from God that he just wants to pull this young prophet down with him. Because misery loves company. And people that are out of the will of God, they will try to bring you down with them. And maybe that's why this prophet did it. Maybe he really did speak to what he thought was an angel. In 2 Corinthians, the Bible tells us, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Maybe he had gotten so far out of the will of God that he allowed himself to be tricked and fooled by the enemy himself. My guess is it's probably a combination of all those things because this old prophet is an ongoing sin. Maybe it was anger, jealousy. I don't know what it is, but something gave this, the enemy an opportunity, and he seized it. And we've already talked earlier about how Satan wants you destroyed. If you're a believer, if you're an unbeliever, Satan wants you destroyed. Either way, believer or unbeliever, he doesn't care. If you're a believer, he wants you not to effectively spread the gospel. And if you're an unbeliever, he doesn't want you to hear the gospel Either way, he wants you destroyed. 
so that you can't hear the word of God or effectively give the word of God out. So he tricks this young prophet who should have known better. He knew what the word of God had told him. Same as us. A lot of times we know what the word of God tells us, but we take bad counsel. We, we get ourselves to people that want to, we, they say what we want to hear. And we take bad counsel or we just do what we want to do, right? And we fall into sin. Either way, this young prophet now disobeys God. And he goes back to this old prophet's home. Verse King 13 says, Now it came about as they were sitting down at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the command of the Lord, and you have not observed the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but have returned and eaten bread and drunk water in the place which he said, uh, which he, of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the grave of your fathers. It came about after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, for the prophet whom he had brought back. Now when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him. And his body was thrown on the road, um, with the donkey standing beside it. The lion also was standing beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown on the road, and the lion standing beside the body. So they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. Now can you imagine how the rest of that dinner went? <laughs> I can't even imagine, I can't even think it in my mind how the rest of that dinner went. Awkward, Right? They're just sitting there eating, enjoying their meal, and all of a sudden the word of God comes to this old prophet that made the young prophet, this prophet from Judah, disobey God, and now God gives him a word of judgment on this young prophet. How crazy is that? And how awkward that must have been for the rest of that meal. I can't even imagine it. And it says, He cried out and told the young prophet, Because you have disobeyed God, now your body, your bones, will not even be with their fathers in death, with your fathers. And that was a big deal to that culture, a very big deal to that culture. Just like, you know, for us today, we have our family plots, right? And we want to be buried with our family most of the time, not all the time. <laughs> but most of the time, that's what we do. We buy family plots and we want to be buried together. Multiply that times 10, and that's how the Jewish culture at that time felt. They wanted to be with their fathers in death. And so it was a shame to this young prophet that he would not be buried with his fathers. And it was a disgrace to his heritage. Now, if I was that young prophet from Judah, the next verse would have been, and the young prophet body slammed. And whipped the tar out of the old prophet. That would have been the next verse if I had been the young prophet. Or Mosley had been the prophet from Judah. That would have probably been the next verse. But we don't see that. This young prophet's actually, this prophet's a lot more spiritual than me, I can assume. And a lot more graceful than me. He accepts it. He accepts that I've sinned. I've sinned. I've brought this on myself. No one else 
put me in this situation. Yeah, I may have listened to bad counsel, but he owns his sin. And he owns the fact that he disobeyed God. Now, he may have not thought he was going to leave right away and get eaten. I don't know. But he accepts it. And he doesn't get mad at all. He doesn't lash out at this old prophet who lied to him and tricked him into sin. He accepts it as, that, that's me. I did it. But he gets up, he eats his meal, he saddles his donkey, and he rides out, and right away this lion meets him on the road. And it, and it kills him, and it says he stands by his body, and this old prophet hears about it, and he saddle up my donkey, boys, I'm heading out. And he wants to go out and see this, this young prophet and see what's happened. And we'll get the rest of the story here in 1 Kings. It says, Now when the prophet who brought him back from the way heard it, he said, Is this the man of God who disobeyed the command of the Lord? Therefore the Lord had given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. Then he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. He went out and found his body thrown on the road with the donkeys and a lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body nor torn the donkey. So the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back. And he came to the city of the old prophet to mourn and to bury him. He laid his body in his own grave and he mourned over him there saying, Alas, my brother. After he had buried him, um, he spoke to his son, saying, When I die, bury me in the grave which the man of God has buried. Lay my bones beside his bones, for the thing shall surely come to pass, which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria. So this old prophet, he goes out and he, he finds this body, just like they said, it's laying on there on the road. And he brings him back, and he buries him in his own tomb. And it actually seems like he's uh, remorseful, and he loves this person, and he mourns over him. Uh, we're going to see a little bit later on there's an ulterior motive for him wanting to be buried with this. It seems all spiritual, but there's an ulterior motive for him to wanting to be buried with this prophet. It's not because he loved him so much. And it looks like he's showing this young prophet honor. And isn't it funny, I just wanted to kind of point this out, isn't it funny here, um, you have a king who was appointed by God, you have two prophets of God in this story here, and the only fully obedient character in the story is the lion. A king appointed by God, two prophets of God, who know the word of God, and the only obedient one in the whole story is a lion. Everything in that lion's nature told that lion to destroy that person and eat him, right? And to eat that donkey. Everything in that lion's nature told him to do that. It goes against his very nature to do what he did, and to sit there by it, and to guard that body, basically. Lion kills and lion eats, right? That's what lions do. So it's against his very nature. And that's something for us to think about, a note here. Just a quick note. When we're making excuses for our sins and saying, well, that's just who I am, right? That's just my nature. 
I'm always going to be angry, always going to be mad. That's just me. You can go against your nature into the supernatural and do what God's com- God wouldn't command you to do it. God wouldn't command you to love and to not be angry and to not sin in your anger if you couldn't do it. It's just excuses. A lion can go against its very nature and do what it's not supposed to do because God told it to. We can do it too. Remember to be like the lion, right? This whole story, if you get anything out of it, be like the lion. Let's finish, start finishing up here in 1 Kings 13, um, 33 and 34. It says, After this event, Jeroboam did not return from his evil way, but again he made priests of the high places from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. This event became sin to the house of Jeroboam, even to blot it out and destroy it from off the face of the earth. Man, that's pretty drastic. Jeroboam, after all these things, and you know he heard the stories. After all these things, he still doesn't repent. And he actually goes out and continues to make these false priests. Continues to push this false religion. These false God that he's pushing on the people. And he continues to lead the people further and further and further away from God and where they need to be. So much so that. As we continue in this study of 1 Kings, you're going to see this moment marked out a lot of times throughout 1 Kings. How this evil that Jeroboam did. You'll see it marked out over and over again. In chapter 15, you're going to see Jeroboam's son Nadab. He continues to walk in the way of his father and then he gets killed. By a man named Basha who takes up and becomes king. And he not only kills Nadab, but he goes and kills every one of his family, every one of Jeroboam's family, so that it's blotted out, just like the Word of God says. Destroys the whole family of Jeroboam. And then a little over 300 years later, you know what happened? Josiah comes. 300 years after God had told Jeroboam, now Josiah comes. And we see the remaining of this prophecy. And I'm going to show you why that old prophet wanted to be buried with the young one. Second Kings 23 says, Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both the altar and the high place, he broke down. And he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. Now, here's why this old prophet wanted to be buried with this uh, prophet from Judah. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of God, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What gravestone is that I see? So the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaim these things which have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone, along with the bones of the prophet from Samaria. That's why he wanted to be buried with that other prophet. Because he knew that the word of God was going to come true. And he knew that these bones of all these fake priests were going to be burned on this altar. And he didn't want his bones disturbed. So he said, bury me with this prophet of God here. 
because he knew. And he didn't want that to happen to his bones. Remember, we just talked about how important it was. And to finish that off, it says, Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars, and he burned men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. Now that's some gangster stuff right there. Josiah is a gangster for God. He goes out and destroys all these places of idolatry, all these places of false worship, and he does good in the sight of God. You know, and all through this, now we see a legacy, Jeroboam's legacy of, of sin, Jeroboam's legacy of failure and rebellion to God is what Jeroboam left behind. And like I said, as, you, as we go through this study in, in Kings, you're going to see over and over and over again, this northern kingdom of Israel is plagued with sin. And it is plagued with sinful, rebellious kings that do not walk in the way of God. And you know what it says about every one of them? Almost every one you're going to see it says, And they walked in the ways of Jeroboam. He started this path of sin and rebellion of, uh, to God and this whole northern kingdom that discontinued on and on and on. What a legacy he left of disobedience to God. So I just want to finish up with this. What do you think would have happened if at the start of that story Jeroboam would have repented? What do you think would have happened if he would have repented at that warning from the prophet? I believe with everything in me, God would have forgiven him. And God could have restored him, and there could have been a different story had he repented. Now, God knew he wasn't going to, but had he repented, it could have been different. There could have been a different legacy that Jeroboam left. He could have been a blessing to his nation. He could have been a blessing to his family. Had he taken that moment when God warned him, he could have turned and been a legacy of blessing to his family. And that's the same way with each, each one of us here listening. We're watching, we're listening. That's the same way with each of us here. No matter where we're at, and I know that there's some of us out here that maybe we're on the mountaintop. Everything's great, and we're living for God, and we're doing awesome, and that is awesome. But I also know that there's people watching, and there's people listening that we're not. We're not there. We've let bad decisions take us down a path that we shouldn't be on. And we're living comfortable with sin. And maybe we've even gotten to the point that we're not even acknowledging God anymore. Maybe we've taken a path that's so far down that we don't even acknowledge God anymore. But just like Jeroboam, it didn't have to be that way. It don't have to be that way for us either. It doesn't have to be that way. See, you have a God of second chances. You have a God that is bigger than this sin that you're in right now. You have a God that knew that you would be here listening today and hear this. 
You have a God that is bigger than that shame and that regret that's keeping you down that you're afraid to admit to anybody. You have a God that is bigger than that. You have a God that is bigger than your current situation. You have a God that is bigger than that last bad decision that you made. You have a God that is bigger than that. You have a God that is willing and says, come, come to me. Ask me to forgive you. Lamentations 3.19 says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By his mercies we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Micah 7 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. He will cast our sins into the depth of the sea. You have a God that even when your sin has taken you to the point that you're homeless and without anything, you have a God that is standing there saying, come on. Come to me. I still want you. You have a God that says, I'll leave the 99 to go find the one. That is the God that you have. It doesn't have to end in shame. It doesn't have to end in a legacy of disobedience to God. Jesus is standing there and saying, come to me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to heal you. Trust me. I will. Until you draw your last breath, you have a God of a second chance that wants to restore you. And see, it's not about proving how good you are to God so that God's going to look down and say, oh, he's doing better now. It's about trusting the fact that God loves you enough to accept you when you do come back. Do you trust him enough that he loves you enough that in your shame and your sin and the biggest pit that you've been in, that he loves you enough to take you back when you come? Because he does. See, God doesn't love you because you're good. God loves you because he's good. That's why God loves you. And to finish, if you're out there and you're an unbeliever and you've not trusted Christ, that promise is for you too. You don't have to be a believer to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Jesus says today, the thief on the cross didn't have time to do any good. He didn't have time to pray. didn't have time to do anything, but trust Jesus. And something happened from the point that he was on the cross and hurling insults at him to the point that he said, forgive me and remember me, Lord. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. If you'll trust in Jesus enough that he loves you enough, that's the gospel. Jesus came, Jesus took your sins to the cross. Your sins personally were on that cross and nailed to it. And he loves you enough to forgive you. Do you trust him for that? That's the gospel. Don't muddy it down with anything else. 
if you'll trust him that your sins are on that cross and that he forgave you for it, that's the gospel, and that's salvation. Let's go ahead and let's... Uh, before we close in prayer, I just want to ask, um, uh, my family has been rocked pretty hard here lately with uh, medical uh, things, and I just ask that you guys will remember my family. I have my mom, my brother, uh, cousin, aunt, cousin's husband. Uh, if you could please remember our family in prayer, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So let's go ahead and let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we're just so thankful, God, that you are a God of second chances. God, we know that each one of us here, Lord, we've, we've done things we shouldn't, we've said things we shouldn't, we've thought things that we shouldn't, and God, that even as far away as we can get from you, God, as far as we want to try to run from you. You're still right there. Your word tells us there's nowhere we can go that you're not. And God, we're so thankful that you're the God of second chances. Lord, help us today. That if we're in that situation, God, help us to understand it, to see your word as truth, to trust you, that you love us enough, Jesus you want us back you never wanted to see us turn away and you want us back help us God that we would restore that fellowship with you help us God to be excited about you and to love you God we know our relationship with you is the most important thing that we have and yet it's one of the things that we take for granted the most help us Lord that we'll start today to begin to read pray to God to build this relationship with you stronger and better than it's ever been. Lord, you promise as long as we have breath in our lungs, God, that you're there. And we're so thankful for it. Lord, help us to walk always in a manner in a way that is worthy to be called your children. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.